Welcome to Style Section, the Wise Guy Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Sheila. And we're back for Season 2. Again, I don't want to get you down on the show. Because we did talk extensively about how the first season is the best season. And there's reasons for that, which we're going to get into as we go. Uh, But I think this season shows that even when working with the dictates of the network to be a more traditional TV show, it still does a great job. Oh, yeah. Like, and that's the thing. You know, and as I always say, like, the story of Wise Guys, the story of a show fighting with its network to try and be something new and different, and the network desperately saying, no, be like all of the other shows. And it's at its best when it defies convention and reinvents the form, and this season is when you know and they got to do that for the whole first season and this season is where the network starts flexing its muscles and we'll talk about that starting in episode two because episode one is very much uh stay you know more of a classic wise guy episode the one difference being that it's great because we get a 100 percent character episode about Vinny that gradually reveals what the arc is going to be about as we go through it even though we're just focusing on the character the whole time. So, really good job this first week. Let's get into it. We pick up exactly like exactly where the previous season land, uh, left off, with Vinny saying, I quit, and Frank saying, six months. Just take six months off, then we'll talk about it. So then Vinny flies back to Brooklyn, gets in a cab, and as he's being driven home, we get just scenes of... American decay. Like, one after another, just scenes of, like, poor people, you know, uh, old businesses being shuttered, people begging on the streets. He's got, he's, uh, Vinny is handed through the window a, uh, a copy of Executive Frontline, which is a Nazi newsletter. Uh, it's, it's not real, like, but there are plenty of guys, you know, scumbags who work at army surplus stores handing out Nazi, uh, newspapers that's just a normal thing and this is addressing it and what i loved about this is and what i still love about this is it doesn't shy away at the start of the episode from like because it's Vinny's point of view and Vinny ain't a perfect guy so when you're seeing all of the signs of american decay that Vinny's looking at what is one of those signs how many black people there are now in his neighborhood yeah. You noticed that in the montage. Oh yeah, yeah. And and it get you get it again. Oh yeah. You have As Vinny's driving through his neighborhood again. Yeah. And he see yeah. And, he and then it starts to rain. Black people. Yeah. Oh god, I know. <laughs> and then he goes home and he can't deal and he can't cope and he's PTSDing pretty hard. And so he puts on his headphones and I hope y'all listen to making Thunderbirds. Yeah. Now, this is where we talk about, well, I was thinking about that afterwards, because what I was doing, I brought up Springsteen after yeah. we finished the episode. And as you right. said, he couldn't afford Springsteen, for God's sake. <laughs> I stand by that. No, no. Oh, no. I, I agree with you. That That's not the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that the entire episode... <clears throat> If you listened to Springsteen's Nebraska, 
which you would get the I, same point. Yes, absolutely. It was earlier than, um, oh, whatever. Born in the Born, born in, in the, the USA. USA. Yeah. yeah, it was it was done earlier. I think. I'm I would have to positive. check, but yeah. Okay, I I'm did. sure you're right. Yeah, because um, I just listened to it again as well. Oh, um, such a good album. It's it's probably to me it's probably still one of his best albums. Um yeah, I see that. And um it is um I was listening to and I suppose you could say that this whole thing is like Johnny 99's spread out what would have happened if he hadn't gotten caught. But yeah. um <laughs> it it is um Keep talking. It's no, I mean, it is. Um, I it was 1982, Nebraska, okay. and I I'm going. The only only and the funny thing is is only because you have Seeger's song. First of all, was isn't as well known. No. Um, his making Thunderbirds. No, which it's as not you as well say, known as well. No, no, it, it's it's very low on his. Um, it's a great song. It is. I agree the video, completely. the video for it is really good. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's talking about 1955. Yeah. And what Nebraska is talking about is the 70s. What happened in the 70s and the 80s, and now we're getting Wise Guy. Mm-hmm. Right, because and um. Things got worse. Like I can okay. Well, no, but again, that's what guy, to be to be clear. Like that's what making Thunderbirds is about. It's the it's a yeah. song about how in '55 America had hope and promise, and everybody was proud of their job, and you know the American dream ideal. And that's why the second verse is like the years went by. You know the outlet, yeah. ch- uh, you know, like the line, uh, like the factory changed, and this is the key part. And you were lucky if you had work. Yeah, no, and it was it. And what's happening is, is now when we're when we're doing this episode, yeah, th- there are a couple of things I want to say. I mean, one of these things is that when we're doing this episode, we're already now things were going to start to get worse. Oh, I yeah. mean, that is that is what they didn't know. They couldn't have. It, known. Yeah. They couldn't have known. That NAFTA was going to make things in the heartland so and things in any industrial state so much worse. And yeah. the other thing is, I can still remember coming back to the suit. I mean, I suppose that's why Nebraska still hits so hard. I mean, mm-hmm. it, the first time I ever listened to it, I cried. Yeah. Um, You know, my dad died before things got worse. Yeah, he died in seventy four, mm-hmm. and you know then, and that was before the oil, really before yeah. the oil crisis, before everything just went belly yeah. up, and before the Rust Belt got going. And yeah. then I can remember the eighties and the nineties, like the late eighties and the nineties, and coming back to Sault Ste. Marie as the town's population is decreasing. And things are boarded up, like, and the whole downtown just keeps getting, getting more and more boarded up. We don't yeah. have an awful lot. Um, 
it it was it was hard in this town i mean the the university almost went under this steel plant was always saved in the end by something or other yeah right but even and then <clears throat> and then things just kept getting worse and you they couldn't have seen that in this episode and yet it in this arc it lays it, it all out so prescient in those mm -hmm. first like the first two episodes of this arc are the most important like i don't think i agree that the second episode is, like i can see why you're saying that the second episode is your first indication that there might be something wrong but i still see the episode is so important oh, so no, no, you need yeah and i should i should have made that clear obviously you need to f have the first episode to understand the conditions on the ground before the con men and the fanatics turn up because yeah. this is about how i mean it's a it's a four episode arc about how capitalism destroyed america and then con men moved in to profit off it and fanatic and fanatics moved in to recruit off of it like, yeah and that's that's what the rest of the the next three episodes are about but the first episode is about how you know capitalism Things destroyed are just... america how well, everything is getting worse because yeah, there's money to made but be made by making people's lives worse and that's all that counts yeah you know i mean and and they do it in the, but it's not just that it's outside money coming in oh yeah right and that's what's happening is this this external money is starting to come in and buy up yep and put in the chains like i mean it's starting and i mean i hate to say it but i mean no, I don't hate to say it, but you go back <laughs> and all of the things that people complained about with Walmart. Oh, yeah. Right? Which was one of the big, you talk about the McDonaldization of the world. Yep. That there's just, you know, these giant uh, mega conglomerates and they take away all your options because, and this is the key part. And so people wonder, why are you always talking about how terrible capitalism is? And the answer is because it's terrible. But more importantly... <laughs> I mean, it really is. Uh, but more importantly, the end goal of capitalism, and this is what everyone uh, fights for, is for essentially in every field and ideally everywhere, for one company to become a monopoly that then gets to charge whatever it wants. And you can say, well, the whole point of capitalism is free, blah, 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 blah. But the problem no, with capitalism not. is, well, I know, but that's what they <laughs> lie and they say. The, uh, is free enterprise and anyone can make it, blah, blah, blah. But the actual way capitalism works is, Whoever, you know, generally, unless someone screws up their company really badly, whoever gets to a big thing first just locks themselves in. And the fun, the thing is, is that you could see it, you know, I mean, here's, here's the problem. And we're yeah. talking culture now is that I think of some of those movies yeah. in the eighties as well, that is taking on sort of the corporate America because wall street isn't, yeah. you know, is starting to, and we don't have hedge funds yet, but it's the same idea. <laughs> oh, what yeah. was that movie with Danny DeVito where he was buying up properties? Money. Other people's money, right? Yeah. And he would Good go movies. in and he would buy up these companies and strip them. Yeah, strip them of all their assets. And, and then, then all the, the people, yeah. and then shut the company down and, and all the of the what, people. What, um, what Mitt Romney used to do for a living. Like, yeah. Mitt Romney's job in the 90s was what Danny DeVito did in other people's money. Yeah, like it, it, you know, there's there's a lot of them, you know. Now those things always end up, you know, sort of 
you know, I mean, there, there's it was Bette Midler, I think, in Other People's Money, wasn't no, it? No, it's uh, Penelope Ann Miller. Oh, Penelope Ann Miller. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so you end up getting it. You know, she she changes his mind, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, no, blah, they changed, blah, blah. The play had a true ending and the movie had a happy ending. Yes. The movie just not the first the first time the movies had movies they changed endings. Yeah. To have a happy yeah. ending. Yeah. You know, um, so you're looking at that. Paul Newman's right? in that movie. Paul Newman plays. The that's dad, right. He? God, that's a good movie. I should rewatch yeah. that. You know, yeah. and. You know, and then you end up getting Wall Street. (laughs) And people, and the problem is people watch these movies and somehow or another equate them. The the problem is, is that there's a truth in the, um, in the fantasy. Yeah. That's the the problem. I mean, like, there are people who get this rich and have these lifestyles and then like, and the film, I mean, you look at Wall Street, nobody remembers that Bud Fox, like, betrayed his dad and destroyed an airline. They remember Michael uh, Douglas making uh, dramatic and charismatic speeches. They don't even care that he goes to jail at the end. They're yeah. just like, well, he had the nice suits, he had the nice car, he gave the big speeches. The whole moral core of the film is Bud's you know, stuff going on with his dad and yeah. people don't even remember Char- Martin Sheen's in that movie, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's how do people take, like, it's what is the story you were trying to tell versus what are the story, what is the story you are telling? Yeah. And because they never show uh, Gordon Gecko being a guy who is a scumbag who revels in excess the way that the actual, you know, corporate raiders were. Right, the actual corporate raiders were also all disgusting people. You know, there's none of them who were charming. How did outside of maybe Mitt Romney? The I mean, and then there was people like Mitt, uh, not Mitt Romney, Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff, who were just you know out and out scammers. And the thing is, because they don't portray that part. I mean, it's Wolf of Wall Street. All uh, did the exact same thing as just Wall Street. Whereas you don't show these people as despicable as they should be. You make it all look like too much fun and people miss the point of the anti-capitalist message of these movies. Although then again, I mean, it's Martin Scorsese. He's always going to be on the side of the criminals. It's just who he is. Well, yeah, he he always is, right? You know, it's just that's just his worldview. Well, actually, that's what makes Goodfellas in some ways um, better. Best work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I still because will of how stand pathetic by that. it all feels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because by the end, it is show pathetic. Everything has fallen apart. Yeah. And I guess Scorsese didn't like how he ended it. I don't know, but he's never done it since. No. And, um, at least not that way. Uh, because no, even and, stupid. Um, yeah. Casino and the Irishman don't have that same kind of bleak no. ending. And, that, uh, and we all know how. Does. How much I dislike the Irishman, and I only saw about about a third of it. I just went. I can't watch this crap anymore. No, no, no. no, I'm not going to waste two hours of my precious time watching the rest (laughs) of this crap. This isn't even worth watching while I'm doing the laundry in the background. And and I had to. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And I mean, I had to. I've had to force people to go. I've lent out my copy of Goodfellas. Yeah. Show Goodfellas. 
so yeah. that people can see what a good movie looks <laughs> capable like. Capable of making, yeah. That Martin Scorsese can make. Oh yeah, he really you can. know, yeah, and um, and that is yes, there was all the excess, but you saw how it all fell apart, and that's what makes what happens to Sid Royce. Oh, also. okay. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, no, no, but even yeah. in that episode. No, no yeah, why the Sid Royce episode. thing is so important. But what, one yeah. thing I'd like to point out is, right, so I've been talking about um, monopolies, right, and yeah. how that is, you know, so much of what causes the problems in capitalism is that capitalism naturally favors monopolies because the more control you have, and so only government can stop monopolies and only government can allow monopolies because monopolies will just happen under capitalism by the nature of the system. So the government can stop and present it. And what's so fascinating about the auto industry is, so for essentially 50 years, there was the big three. Well, no, not 50 years, 40 years, there was the big three. And they had a monopoly that the government protected. And that's the key part. There were like... 10 movies about all of the attempts to become a new car manufacturer in America. And in all of them, a big part is essentially the government was always underwriting, you know, the, uh, the failures of the big three automakers. They were always underwriting and rescuing them whenever they needed to. Mm -hmm. And they would not give that same support to new automakers because starting an auto, you know, an auto manufacturing company is an incredibly risky and difficult thing to do. And if you don't have the government on your side, you can't do it. And what happened in the 80s was there was more money in, you know, there were more people given the government money to uh, encourage outsourcing. And so the government turned its back on the big three and they just started letting, well, the American workers, they still gave the big three money. But on the American workers and let the big three move all auto production to Mexico and Canada. And that's what destroyed the American. Well, workers, oh, well I like don't even. No, I don't, no, no, they didn't. They didn't send that much to Canada. And then they Not screwed that much. Canadian workers. Oh, over Canadian screw workers got screwed by NAFTA, too. But I'm just saying that they did. <laughs> no, no, I mean, a bunch yeah. of when they were starting out. Most of it. Uh, most uh, of it went to Mexico. Most of it went to Mexico. But some and of then it, went it to started plants in Canada. Then parts so. of it started to go um, across the Pacific. Oh yeah, right. And because and then so of course cheap to ship cars. And then they were able to then bring car start to bring cars in. I can remember when the first Mazdas came in, right, and oh, things okay. like that. And then um, you know it took a long time for things like Mazda and Toyota and all of those those particular companies to get a foothold. Part of what they did, of course, was start up plants. Volkswagen started, you oh, know, yeah. but, you know, then again, Mercedes Benz didn't it buy out basically GM. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it, 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 it is it's a whole history lesson in itself. And what you're looking at, what you're listening to, if you listen to Spring Streams, Nebraska, and then what you're looking at in this first episode and in this first arc of the second season is the destruction that it causes and how it gets people into little by little believing yeah. the nutty stuff. Well, yeah. and and the thing is, like and the problem this episode, is well, we'll we'll get into what they believe next week on this show. Mm -hmm. Uh but we get a little bit of it in this episode. We get enough of it in these two episodes. So Vinny comes home. I know we just did a, a 20 minute tangent about the history of the audio industry, auto industry in America and, you know, 
corporate making thunderbirds and, uh, and making thunderbirds, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the uh, important part is here is that Vinny gets home and he is at loose ends, and we fast forward six months. And Vinny, again, obviously Ken Wall didn't, like, shave or cut his hair. Like, the minute the season one wrapped. No, the minute season (laughs) one wrapped, he stopped shaving and cutting his hair so he could be ready for the first episode of season two. Quite (laughs) clearly. Because that is one hell of a beard and haircut he's got. That is not the kind of thing you see on TV much. Like, an actor changed this much between two seasons. Oh, and by the way, and we get further further confirmation that Vinny had been working for them for 40 oh, no. months. Yeah, they full on say it. They say, no, no, yeah. they say, uh, they give the number, it is 40 months. And mm-hmm. so he is saying that is the 16, that is the 16 months in uh, lockup, and then yeah. a year with Sonny Steelgrave, and then a year in the profit organization. Yep. Like, by the by the beginning of season two, they have locked down what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And so Vinny's life is is genuinely sad. He's living in his childhood bedroom. He is, you know, hanging out at home. He is working as a mechanic and he is just picking up whatever loose women he runs into. <laughs> and he can't and he and he can't and he won't even obviously is not getting any therapy for this. Oh, no, no. He is not getting it. Like, he doesn't know where to, he to where to, to even yeah, begin, where to begin because of what he went through with Susan and then with the government. Like what he went through with Susan and the government and Mel and was, like he just he's so Sonny. dramatic. Oh God, especially Sonny, that he has just kind of locked himself away and he's just pretending none of this ever happened and trying to live his life. But the problem is everyone in town thinks he's a mobster. Yeah, which is which is a real problem for him because we see him at work, and at work the very same guy who was handing out executive frontline, and I was there dropping off a car, uh, no picking up a car. And it turns out that, as we said, he's a guy who works at a uh, guy who works in an army surplus store because you want to find a Nazi, go to the army surplus store. <laughs> Just as a general rule. There's a reason that's a tro- that is a trope uh, in <laughs> that that is a trope in, in fiction. fiction. And it's because it's true. If you wanted to fi- like before the Internet, if you wanted to find a copy of the Turner Diaries, you had to go. Like, it's true. You had to go. And the Turner Diaries are very important to this episode because you see, and this is where I first heard of it, this is where um, Zog first starts coming up. It's, well, this is this is basically the the guy who wrote the Turner Diaries. Yeah. Is, I mean, theoretically, I mean, now, now we just see it as prescient of Donald Trump oh, yeah. taking advantage, but the role the leader is playing is... Mm-hmm. The guy who wrote the Turner Diaries. So he's writing all of this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, and selling it. And selling huh. it. And, but we'll we'll get to Knox uh, in the second episode. <laughs> we'll yeah, get to we the real to... villain in the second episode. But yeah. the point is, there's all this uh, graffiti about Zog, and you've got these guys talking about Zionists, and it's all just, it's all just you know, um, what's the Protocols of the Elders of Zion stuff. Yeah. Right. And we're going through this now because QAnon is just the protocols of the elders of Zion again. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, I mean, it's just Jewish, a Jewish cabal runs everything and eats babies. And, uh, you know, we have to defeat them. Like, it's just, they've been saying the same stuff about Jews for what, 1900 years. And QAnon is just the latest. yeah. Yeah. 18, 1900 years. They've been saying the exact same stuff about Jews and QAnon is just, the latest version of it 
Uh, and I and don't know. Do, never please. mind. Okay. I, I was just going to say it, it still boggles my mind. It, it oh, still it does. completely and totally boggles my mind. That these people can be taken in by this. Yeah. Well, well, they, well, we watch it. We watch it in these four arcs. Yeah, how it happens. Four stories, how it happens. Well, I mean, we I've watch it to been, Richie. I mean, you know? I've never been one of these new atheist people and cool atheist people and blah 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 blah. I understand all of the damage that um that religion has done to the world, but I'm not like one of these you have to outlaw Islam people. But at the same time, you look at the state of America, and it's hard not to say, especially with what happens to Richie. Uh right? And we'll talk about Richie in a second. What happens to Richie is that the problem with religion, especially in America, is it creates this whole group of people who are trained to not think critically about things, you know, to take to take giant things on faith to for things to be able to be true when there is no evidence of, them, you know, and that is why that is why QAnon and the Republican Party are now basically a cult, because like everything um, like everything that the Republicans say about economics has been proven to be true by history and trying out their ideas. Like all of the Republicans' ideas are bad ideas that don't work, but they have a fan base that just operates on faith based on everything. Yeah, and, like, and it's and that's it. This, okay, but the, here's Continue, the problem. Please. Okay. Yeah. Here's oh God, there are sirens going by. Oh my God. Well, anyway, I'm scared now. Keep your head um, and continue. Yes, I will continue. Um, okay, it's got to be around my street. <laughs> yeah, obviously, because they just that. stopped. Um, we're, we're not here to talk about the fire engines on your street. No, Please we're not continue. talking about the outlaws. No, yeah. Although you know, well, no, the outlaw <laughs> talking bikers, white, yeah. <laughs> white supremacists. You know, a lot what of the that in the biker community. Absolutely. Anyway. Um, Never mind. Uh, let's go um, back to what was I talking about? Sorry about that. You were very distracted by that uh, fire engine or police. I'm hoping fire. Engine. Oh no, no, I don't think I don't. I, so it anyway, was more than one. It was at the uh, at Vinny's work. We meet. We have. Uh, oh right. Uh, before we get to Vinny's work, it's important to mention oh, that red, we, we get introduced to us. Oh yes. Uh, do no, no. I was going to say something there, about religion. Go that here's here's the problem you bring about that was the problem with atheists that started their whole shtick in the united states yeah right because they do the same sort of thing that you you, you ended up they became much more um cultish in yeah, their, that's true. In their, in their de denouncing, they didn't offer really a solution. No, they just said, right? here are a bunch of problems, and now you'll and join our cult. Well, all, all we this. do, where all we do all of the time, instead of trying to fix problems, is just blame religion for things. I'm like, Great. Blame religion, let's get rid of religion, and everything will be fine. Well, no, everything won't be fine. QAnon is not <laughs> religious. Nope. Well, in in the way that you think that it has to have some attachment. Yeah, it doesn't have a, a direct attachment system. to any particular religious supernatural belief system. You know, it doesn't, and, but it still has all the hallmarks of a religious cult. 
yeah, it 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 does, you know. Um it's another apocalyptic Christian cult. Yeah, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And, and Western society blah, blah, now, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. other other societies handle and the religious systems. The big problem if you want to talk about colonization, religious colonization, is that there are religious systems that <clears throat> slowly but surely have taken over um all of the same methodologies and the structures and missionary work and stuff like that of 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 Christianity right. um because it was successful in oh, its absolutely. colonization move islam doesn't fit into that because islam is just one of the abrahamic religions and it it's just a natural outshoot right you've got three abrahamic religions yeah, in there and outshoot in islam all yeah. offshoots from the the same basic text well what, yes from the same basic man yeah that's why we call them abrahamic, abrahamic i know <laughs> you know so anyway but it does make people if you can here's here's what i believe this is why yes. people can move from one to another you know can convert but they're not really changing anything except how the interpretation goes yeah same and text different ways of reading it is all the same text ultimately right yes okay yeah. so you were roman catholic well yes the jehovah's witness proved that all of this crap in in the in the history in the tradition is not in the bible and said they say they're based on the bible so guess what um here's the what the bible says so you should join us instead right because yeah. we see i mean this is how it goes i've talked about this before so let's get back to but you can watch it does set up people but i think human beings generally speaking the history of the world will tell us that people are all you know do tend to follow I mean, oh, you yeah. can't even think about that. You can think about Mahatma Gandhi. Oh, yeah. It is revered at one level, but, you know, it at the same time, it's still a leader and everybody rallied around him in the way the reason people don't, don't There is a degree him. to which that humans, because we are the cooperative monkeys, because we are the monkeys who are the best at cooperating, right? Mm -hmm. There is a degree to which evolutionary biologists will tell you that humans are naturally leadable as a people because that provided a huge, a huge evolutionary advantage. Yeah. Like be everybody being able to line up between behind somebody with a good idea, right? And everyone being comfortable lining up behind a person with a good idea is what saved humanity. Like it's what saved our species during all of the horrible calamities that happened to it. it's why we've succeeded in a way that no other animals have and we'll get into brain size and learning how to cook blah and blah, blah, fire, yeah. blah 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 but the key thing is our ability to work together right yeah. for a common cause is is what made humanity work and it's what allowed us to you know conquer the world the way we have in a way that dolphins haven't in a way that any kind of great ape hasn't in a way that wolves <laughs> profoundly have <laughs> right because we are able to look at people outside of our immediate family and say they're with us and we're all able to work together but the problem is that natural instinct to work together and follow a leader is 
turns out incredibly easy to turn to evil purposes. Well, yeah. And that's that's the, anti- the tragedy of humanity. What we would call anti-human purposes. Uh, yeah, I would yeah. go so far as to say anti-human purposes. That's fair to say. Mm-hmm. All right. So, and, okay. Uh, so. Now, to get back to it, again, enough <laughs> theology for Vinnie now. Being, yes. The crazy part is, we're going to have some more theology later, is the crazy part. This isn't the only time we're talking theology today, uh, even in this episode. Anyway, let's get to it. Uh, so we uh, check in with Frank and Daryl. All right, and Daryl being the uh, regional director in Frank's neck of the woods, in the the whole Jersey, New York area that Frank works out of. And we find out that the head of the OCP is leaving and Daryl is being made the head of the OCP. And given how frustrating Daryl has been, that's not being, that's not a great idea. But uh, Frank is going to get kicked up to um, regional director, right? So he's getting a big raise. And Vinny is going to be um, he's going to be a field supervisor, which means a big raise for Vinny. And, but pointedly, he says, "But we got to keep Vinny in the field, yeah. right? And Vinny can't, you know, come in and start doing office work can you, can and you, actually be a supervisor." Can you imagine Vinny I know being Vinny a in an office supervisor like yeah. Frank? Well, and um, and the thing is, oh yeah, obviously they're like, no, he's in the mob. He's got to stay undercover. Yeah, is the is the thing they make like he's too valuable in the field to take out. And what gets really interesting there is that uh, you have this thing where it's like, so technically he's a field director, and eventually he could make regional director while still being an undercover agent because it's all be it's all about what your pay scale is. Yeah. It's like how, do you know what the most, um, technically okay. you only need one uh, admiral in the Navy for each capital ship, but America has like hundreds of admirals. And the reason is, and most of them are medical doctors. <laughs> because the reason is the army desperately needs medical doctors on their staff. Because, you know, mm-hmm. they're a war fighting organization, need a lot of doctors around. And as a consequence, medical doctors are constantly getting promoted and given raises to encourage them to not to go into stay. private practice. And so that is why if you want to find like an admiral is more, in America is more likely to be a doctor than any other profession. And it's the same so, way yeah. here. Like Vinny could make it to the top of the FBI while still being an undercover agent. Because that's how badly they need him. It's the exact same kind of thing, which I think I think is pretty damn funny, actually. Yeah. So and and yeah, we all know it's not going to go well with Daryl, but of course course it's but we have no idea how quickly it's going to go badly with Daryl. Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, Oh, my God. That next. Anyway, I know the big thing. But, you know, the big the big thing, though. Yeah. Right. Is is that. They still want Vinny. They don't want him to retire. They'll do anything. Ultimately, what does Vinny want? Well, yeah. We'll get there. And what's interesting is Frank didn't tell Daryl that Vinny tried to uh, retire because he knows how important Vinny is. And so he just kept it to himself. He figured give Vinny six months off, you know, give him a breather and he'll come home. And now that Vinny isn't coming home, they're like, he actually has to tell Daryl. Because, fun fact, uh, as he says, you have to debrief undercover agents when they're going to stop being in the field. And debriefing, as he said, is literally like months of going over everything Everything. you did, line by line. 
to make sure you did like everything you did that was questionable, illegal. They want it all written down. It is basically just a, you know, a complete breakdown of your entire two years in these uh, criminal organizations. Every, you have to account for every dollar, every second of your time, everything. And of course that is a nightmarish, pro uh, you know, thing to do, especially when you're already suffering from PTSD over that. So nobody's looking forward to, Vinny's not looking forward to going to do that, but the options that he's given is come back to work or submit to debriefing. And he wants to do neither. Meanwhile, and this is where it gets good, we meet Richie. And Richie, I didn't really, you know, when I was a child watching these episodes, I didn't get why Richie is there. Really? And now I understand the importance of Richie, like the, the neighborhood guy who pumps gas at the gas station that yeah. uh, Vinny works at, right? Who has a crush on Angela, uh, Vinny's second cousin by marriage. You'll remember her as Danny's wife. Yep. Uh, from the episode, The Birthday Surprise. She's back. And they, she and Vinny have been hanging out for the six months uh, since he's been back. Right, he's got a crush on her. But more importantly, you need Richie in here because... There is nothing about Vinny as a character who could ever be taken in by white supremacy. And the whole point of this That's show it. is showing the appeal of these worlds, showing how they're tempting, blah, 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 blah. But we know Vinny. Vinny could never be taken in by white supremacists. No! Under no circumstance could he. <laughs> it's just, it can't happen. So you need a character to go through that arc. And that's what Richie is here for. He is the character who needs to go through that arc. Right? And that's so if you're wondering, why is this kid who we've never met before so important? It's because you need someone to see what is tempting about the easy answers that white supremacy provides. And, you know, this whole QAnon type thing provides and then have them learn the error of their ways. Like that is an arc the story needs to tell. And so the character Richie is that important. Yes. And. At the same time that all this is going down and he's refu and Vinny is refusing to go back, it turns out his boss's gas station uh, has been... been taken over by the Japanese. Yeah. Japanese conglomerate bought all of the Jiffy Lubes and they're putting all of the local, uh, right? Putting all of the local business like things out of business. Yep. Right, and they're turning them into Jiffy Lubes or whatever. They and call going Jiffy to give going to give the guy a job. Yeah, if he wants it, he can he can start training to work at a Jiffy Lube for minimum wage. Yeah. Ugh. Again, minimum wage is at this point like what four seventy five an hour. Going from owning your own lines. business to earning four seventy five an hour. Jesus, like it's no wonder the guy's upset. But and this is the key part. No, like he doesn't understand because what is the first thing he does? Well, uh, Richie's been talking about this Knox Pooley guy and the Pilgrims of Promise and people standing up for American workers, right? From foreign things. But the problem is he doesn't understand that J Japanese people aren't the problem here. Capitalism is the problem. Like there's always going to be but it's easier. There's always, but it's yes, as you say, it's easier to blame them. Yes, it's easier to fight the the. Something that you can see. Capitalism, oh. you, the social system is not something you can, you can see. see. But you know what you can see? Uh, you can see a synagogue. Yeah. And so he says he agrees with Richie to go to one of these meetings that the, uh, right, to go to one of these meetings that Richie and the 
uh, the guy from the surplus army surplus store always talking about. And uh, boom, they go and they trash a synagogue. Yeah. Oof. And uh, this is upsetting to the guy who runs. <laughs> Very upsetting because we see, uh, you know, we see the rabbi come out and just be absolutely shattered that they have, you know, damaged all of his the synagogue and especially the Torah, the Torah scrolls yeah. that they've badly damaged. And he is freaked out about this and he can't believe what he did. And he wants to go and talk to Vinny about it. And Vinny, for his part, is going out uh, to dinner with uh, Angela and he's going to try and set her up with Richie and Angela would rather be going out on a date with Vinny. Yes. How great is that little like 20 second scene in her apartment? Yes. No, it is. Yeah. Where like, and the thing is, honestly, if Vinny was emotionally, I mean, Vinny as a person, I think maybe you'll agree with this. I think he'd be happier if he just married Angela and settled down. <laughs> Well, like, yes, he'd be a happier person, but he would have to go through a lot of therapy before he's ready to do. That. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I think for sure. That would but be the she, best, like, yeah, she Please. she's not a fool either. She knows oh, no. that Vinny yeah. can't, you know, this and, is... I mean, that's that's what we'll get to in the second episode. But yeah. it's just like she obviously is comfortable with Vinny. She's, you know, finally because it's been almost two years since Danny died. Well, yeah. was murdered. Murdered. It's been almost two years since Danny was murdered, and she's ready to move on with her life, and she's incredibly comfortable with Vinny, so that just makes sense to her. And it's, I mean, they're sweet together, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they really are. So I think it's it's kind of great seeing that. I, yeah. I really like that in the episode. Well, it's the parents, it's, it's his parents' marriage. Yeah, exactly. And he could have that. Yeah. You know? He could have his parents' marriage and just have this comfortable life. But, you know, is is he ready to see that that's an option? That's the thing. And I, I don't think Vinny is ready to see that that's an option. And But, I mean, we'll talk about that going forward. But anyway, they go out on a mini date. And then he talks to the guy. And the guy confesses about uh, messing up the church. And he gets super drunk in public. So he has to interrupt the date to try and get that guy home. And the guy is and and she and he sets her up with sets with her up Richie. with Richie. Yes, that's true. Yes, and then we get this interesting thing where he just uh, absolutely we see the guy going off on this racist screed against Japanese people, people, which is deeply uncomfortable to watch. Yes, I think it's safe to say that it is deeply uncomfortable to watch that scene, but like I think it's in there for a reason. Uh, spoiler alert: If you are triggered by people just saying racial slurs, uh, watch out for these next four episodes. Yeah. Because the show is not shy or in any way dishonest about how it portrays racists. Yeah. It and it lets them use their language. And you would never do that on network television today. No, I mean, that that is, in some ways, you can see all sorts of swearing on television, but you can't, it it is the downside yeah. okay of this post 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 modern <laughs> culture I know. uh it is the downside because you can't and i'm going if you can't even say a word you cannot explain why it's bad yeah uh and i mean i 
I get it. They, I'm, you know, we're not going to be saying any of these words here on the show. Well, we don't. I don't. Don't you don't use them? I don't well, use no. them. But I. Yeah, I mean, exactly. ultimately, I never use them. So yeah, it's, it's not, not like. Issue. Oh, yeah. totally. But um, yeah, it's like we're not people who have. Oh, like uh, I'm always shocked when I see people who are like, you know, I have to be very careful to police myself to not say these super offensive things. And I'm like, do you? Do you? Like why? <laughs> why? Like. Why on earth? So, so are you, you feeling like you use. have to? You you used to use these? Well, no, and it's like, yeah. um, uh, it's what uh, Matt Damon just went through with his like his daughter being the one to tell him you can't say the f slur about gay people anymore. You just can't. And you're like, wow. So you were comfortable saying that all the time as a young man, weren't you? Anything growing up in Boston? Like, yeah, I guess he was a uh, pretty casually homophobic and racist dude well i would assume he was catholic so oh yeah it's it goes with the territory all right so you know uh the guy is absolutely shattered and we also find out that uh the guy running the organ uh running the surplus store would like to have some people who are in the uh the market for guns so Vinny tries to look at and he would like Vinny to you know sell him some because he's he's connected yeah. So Vinny's boss uh, is ashamed of himself and absolutely shattered by all of this. And so when the guys come to get him for the next, you know, uh, criminal organization thing, right? Uh, yeah. Whatever kind of criminal organization thing you were planning, Vinny shows up and says, you know, like uh, Vinny says, uh, you want to don't mess. Maybe. Know, don't, we, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can cut a deal. But it's like. But he goes to the guy's place first and, and you know, roughs him up a little to say, don't come at me through my friends. If you want something from me, come to me. Yeah. Which, you know, it's the right thing to do. Like he does this all. Well, he, he after all, he still is. Yeah. He's, he's a made man. In the he's mob. a made man in the mafia. Like he can you get know, away how's with it this kind of thing. Well, and what's interesting is there's actually a scene where like when he finds out he's losing his thing. He asks him for a mafia style. He asks Vinny for a mafia style favor. Yeah. And it's like how there you know, used to be guys in your line of work wouldn't let this happen to businesses in the neighborhood. And the crazy part is that's actually true. Yeah. Like the mob. I mean, as well, well, we've gone through this already with Steelgrave, right? Oh, yeah, no, Where yeah, Patrice I mean, just doesn't care. Anymore. Care about the neighborhood. Exactly. Because he's making so much money investing in this stuff with his stock market scams. Why does he care yeah. about and what does he care about a local laundry and a local bakery and the protection money you can pick up from them? They still have to pay the protection money. They just don't get any protection for it. And like yeah. it actually used to be that the mob would, you know, essentially try to sabotage big firms coming in to put a places out of business because you can't, you know, there's no way to extort money for protection from a giant corporation. Yeah. Because the FBI and the cops are on the corporation's side. That's yeah, the thing. So, like, the yeah, cops don't I mean, care what a random bakery ha owner happens to. They care what happens to Mrs. Fields. You know? <laughs> There's actually a scene in The Sopranos where, like, the the mobsters go to a Starbucks to try and, like, extort them for protection money. And the guy's like, look, I mean, you can rough me up, but next week, there's going to be a new manager here. <laughs> like, if I gave you any money for protection, I'd be fired, and then the new guy wouldn't. Like, you can't you want to extort me, you got to go to the corporate office. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, idea. I mean, it's, yeah. um, yeah, 
So anyway, yeah, it's like, if you, you want to see this more. Paused, yeah, I, I just think it's fascinating that the show is willing to say that, you know, here is why there are people in the community who aren't completely against the mob. And the answer is that the mob is the FBI for these little people and the FBI is the mob for giant corporations. Basically, <laughs> that is a gross oversimplification, but there is a lot of truth to it. All right, please continue. Okay, so no, I'm going. Okay, where where did we go when you went off on that tangent? <laughs> no, this, no. This then show we get to is the final scene. We get to the final and most. No, I mean it's an interesting episode because there's not like the the driving plot you normally get in a wise guy episode. No, it's just about the characters. Just these little little things, Scenes. and yes. you see, you know. And, and so go now on. Now we'll get to the most important character of the episode who we haven't talked about at all yet since all of his scenes are with Vinny or one other thing. So we haven't really talked about it because it makes sense to talk about all at once. So Pete is obviously seeing his brother all the time, right? Pete is obviously seeing his brother all the time. So he is uh, there. He comes to the house every day for breakfast. Like they always get to, uh, it's, it's very sweet. He's trying. And he's trying to get Vinny to remember, like there's stuff in your life that you care about and you're rotting away. Like yeah. you're rotting away, just sitting here, you know, growing a beard and working, uh, you know, working at a gas station and picking up women like who and feeling sorry for and yourself. feelings. And exactly. And feeling sorry for yourself. By the way, the picking up women is great because his mother has a catch. He's obviously done it so much. Yeah. That his mother has a catchphrase yeah. of reminding him to listen to the surgeon general. general. Yes. Always wear a condom, but of course she's a good Catholic woman and can't say the word condom. Uh, well, so no, she tells because... him to always listen to the Surgeon General. Yes. I just think that's hilarious. Uh, no, but she's it, she doesn't have a lot to do this week, but the, her little scenes, her little bits, are very funny. Well, no, they they give you. Yeah, you they know, give they again, just... Yeah, they give you a window into into. And they give and you a break from everything that's going All on the white around. Supremacy stuff. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. All right. Because it is horrible. So, uh, as we recall, a uh, a synagogue was trashed. Pete goes to help them clean the place up. Yeah. Right, sweeps up, goes, and then he ends up talking to the press and saying, like, this kind of interfaith, we're all human, we're all working together. This kind of interfaith thing is a perfect example of why I got into religion in the first place. All that matters is helping people. It's not about the, you know, it's not about the rituals. It's not about the speeches. It's about making people's lives better. And that's why we all get into it, got into it. And it's like, it's, I mean, it's just a couple of things. It's just a couple of sentences, but it's like, it's really clear. It's helping him find his purpose about like why Again. he loves being a priest. Yeah. And I mean, he was adrift a little in the way Vinny was. And mm -hmm. seeing this horrible thing come from the outside and forcing us all to work together has been incredibly inspiring for him. And of course, what is the result of that? Oh, it's him getting yelled at by the Monsignor. <laughs> Because he said the wrong thing. You said yeah. that ritual didn't matter. No, yeah, that's not like, what I meant. Jeez. Yeah. But not what you I said. Because that's the thing. Even in, like, even in this situation, like, the Catholic Church, like you said last week, is a corporation. Mm -hmm. It's a corporation and it has to protect its brand. Yeah, And that is what Pete was threatening by saying ritual is less important than helping people. You or I might say, well, that's obviously the case. But in the Catholic Church, it's like, yeah, but anybody can help people. We only have the ritual to sell. 
no, we only have the ritual to save people from hell. Oh, yes. No, you're right. I shouldn't refer <laughs> to it as sales. I should no. talk about saving people from hell. You, we only ha we have the rituals that will save people from hell. hell. Yeah. Oh God. And so you have to keep reinforcing that because that's what gets people in the pews and gets people giving us ten percent of their money every month. And it's it's despicable. <laughs> like this little scene. It's three lines with a with the Monsignor. But you know yeah. what? It's it just digs into. Oh right, all of the systems are corrupt. All yeah. of them. Even the, ch like, we haven't seen the church being corrupt yet on the show. But now we see the church being corrupt, too. And the church missing the point, too. Like, the show is, again, pulling all of the scales off. But the great part is, Pete is not discouraged by this. Yeah. He's going to fight through. He, he remembers what he values. And so he has peace in his heart. And then he gets hit by a truck. Yep. In the most surprising death this show will ever do. Yep. I didn't see it coming. Nope. Out of the clear blue. He Out gets run over by a truck, blue. and that's it. And Vinny's like, Christ, I have been on autopilot. And he shaves his beard, right? Uh, he shaves his beard, and he says, I will go to work on this thing. You know, I'll figure it out. I'll go to work on this thing. Uh, right? I'll shave my beard. And he gives a beautiful speech. And but he wanted what he wants to work on is the one thing we did mention in the story is after he uh, gets the gas station owner out of having to go with the Nazis, he follows the Nazis to their clubhouse where he sees Richie getting bled in with. And this is important. The exact same kind of hand cutting thing that he got brought into used to bring him into the mafia. And it's like, that's a comparison they're drawing. Well, it's a yeah. comparison they're drawing that these are all these insular organizations. And he sees Richie being, you know, brought into the Pilgrims of Promise, which you see their costumes. It's an offshoot of the KKK. We all know yes. it's an offshoot of the KKK. That's, like, yes. It's perfectly obvious what this, uh, what this organization is. And that's the end of the first episode. Pete's dead and Vinny's, uh, Vinny's willing to come back to the FBI if he can work on getting rid of these Nazis. And that's when we start episode two, which is kind of fascinating, right? Because A, we get our first good look at what the structure of Wise Guy is going to be from here on out, which is you're going to start pretty much every episode within an arc with a mm -hmm. scene inside OCB headquarters in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to go in. We're going to hang out with... Um, Daryl. Daryl and Frank and Mark. Uh, the Is he the first... I mean, tell me if I'm going too far. Like, is he the first gay-coded, like, recurring character? I think he In is, what? Right? In, Wise guy. Yeah. Wise guy. Yeah. Because yeah. Mark is obviously, like, in the performance, he's he's coded as being gay. Like, it's never it's never said... Everything about the co uh, the coding of the man this man's performance is this is a gay character, and it's never said. It's just there for you to notice, and it's not a big part of it. And I'm like, and I would say it was never tell. noticed, never noticed yeah. by most people. I think most, yeah, I think most people wouldn't notice that Mark is supposed to be gay, uh, but it is there, and I yes. just like, and I think it's handled with an excellent degree of subtlety. Because here's a character who is coded as gay and supposed to be gay, and he's just like, just a competent guy doing his job, and nothing about his sexuality ever comes up. 
So yeah. I really like that. I really like how the character of Mark is treated by the show. So just thought I'd mention that. So we meet Mark, all right, really for the first time. We get a we get a look at Mark, and we find out about the Pilgrims of Promise. Knox Pooley, Fred Dalton Thompson, and Calvin Hollis, who we haven't talked about at all, but I consider to be one of the most like fully fleshed out villains they ever had on this show. I think the performer is so good in this that I literally, for the rest of his career, haven't been able to think of him as anything but Calvin Hollis. Which is weird, because he was on CSI for a decade. <laughs> it's the cop from CSI. It's the cop from CSI. And he's so good in this. Yeah. Like, he's incredible in this. And the way they, and right away, it's the stuff we always talk about that they don't talk about in, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, Criminal Minds Enough. How did Calvin Hollis become a guy who frigging, you know, hates all non-white people and is part of this, you know, cult? Well, uh, he's an incredibly desperate, emotionally shattered man because he was molested for his entire childhood. And then his father, his main abuser, killed himself when a giant conglomerate uh, bought out uh, his farm and drove them out of business. One of these giant agro agribusiness conglomerates. And so he went looking for something to give his life meaning. And he went looking for a new father figure to tell him what to do. And that father figure was a teacher at his school who was also a child molester. Yep. And again, that might seem contrived, but it only seems contrived if you don't know how child molesters work. Yeah. Like Andrew Vax has always said that child molesters can look at a room full of children and tell you which ones have been abused by their parents just on the way yep. they interact. Because child molesters make it their business to know which children are vulnerable. And Calvin Hollis is the most vulnerable character you'll ever meet. Yes. He's so and pathetic. Then, and we don't know exactly oh. how he came in contact with, with all of Poole. this. Yeah. With, no, not so much with Knox. Oh. I wasn't going to say Knox, because Knox isn't really... It was because he says it was Calvin who, who, like how Calvin got in contact with all of this white supremacy, white supremacy. stuff. Yeah. That we don't know. What no, we, we never do know out. is yeah. that at some point in time, he ran into Knox Pooley. And yeah. Knox Pooley also yeah. knows how a good thing when he sees one. Well, and that's the thing, right? He... Uh, and this is why we call it the Donald Trump uh, four episodes mm-hmm. because, and that's the key part. Calvin Hollis is a true believer and Knox yep. Pooley is a con man. Yeah. Knox Pooley is there to, um, to make as much money as he can off of the people who have already had their finances destroyed by, you know, the chain, like by the, you know, or have, they have either had their finances destroyed by globalization or they're worried they're going to. And he's like, okay, well, you're having financial trouble? You know, give me $200 for my set of cassette tapes. 400 Sorry, $400 for my set of cassette tapes. And I will teach you how to be a... No, it was... Yeah. It was oh. Look, his rally in yep. this episode it's was perfect. Un- it's perfect. Uncanny. Because it's, it's uncanny. It's religious. perfectly. Yeah. 
it's so religious in yeah. its structure and tone mm-hmm. and everything else. It is, it was his, and you know, it is even a brilliantly saying, written speech. Okay. And there was something that I sat there, right? Yeah. And I looked at and I went, yeah, you know how we say this show may have problems with women? <laughs> well, what I was reminded of when yep. when he's showing them the mirror. Yep. You know, and it's all you guys and why are you accepting it? Right? Yep. What he's wondering is about the people who accept this. Yep. Right? And do you remember back to when Vinny was talking to the model? Yep. And that's exactly what he says to her. Like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> blaming the victim for their problems yeah right and it's it's fascinating it was it it was fascinating but because i would have never made that connection except that we're talking about all of this now i know right and because we're talking about it but yeah no and it's um it was interesting that just to me was a little interesting tidbit that i don't think was in there's no intentionality there whatsoever, but it was no. the same words. Yeah. It was the same words that Vinny like used. You decide how people treat you. Yeah. And yeah. that's, that was Vinny was talking about her world, but it's like, you know what? She's got problems in her life that are causing her to act this way and look for this kind of external valid, external yeah. validation in the same yeah. way that the people who are, you know, open to being taken in by Knox Pooley's speeches have problems in their life that they don't that they don't they feel they are disconnected from the cause of their problems so they look for an explanation and here's the explanation because as you say it's hard to explain why your life sucks because of capitalism it's easy to explain that your life sucks because of jews yeah like it's hard for people to understand or blacks or black well no mostly jews because to quote yes. the uh, blues brothers the Jews are using the blacks as muscle. Yes. What are you going to do about it, Whitey? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. That that scene was so beautiful. It's so it? funny. Oh, God. Yes. It's it wasn't so the hilarious. Blues Brothers that said that. Okay, guys. No, that was the Blues Brothers. No, no, you're right. It's the Nazis in the Blues Brothers. It's the obviously. Nazis in the it's Blues the Illinois Brothers. Na- it's the Illinois The Illinois Nazis. chapter of the Nazis. American I... Nazi Party. Jesus. I know. I know. I hate Illinois, Illinois Nazis. Nazis. <laughs> Blues Brothers is a great movie, everybody. If you haven't seen yeah, Blues yeah, Brothers, the original. you owe it to yourself. Oh, right. The original. Sequel. I always forget they made a sequel. Yeah, yeah. Because why, why would you make a sequel? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And so okay. we see this wonderful speech because it's, they want to buy guns. Yeah. They want to buy guns. And so Richie has taken uh, Vinny to this speech to see Knox Pooley. And then he meets Calvin Hollis outside. And Vinny's like, I'm only going to deal with Knox Pooley, and then we learn that Calvin Hollis handles all oh. of the action. Yes. Right? Handles all of the action. And what's important to, and he says that uh, pointedly, that Knox knows nothing. That is, Knox is completely out of the loop. I am empowered to work, make all decisions for the Pilgrims of Promise when it comes to any action that is going to be taken. Yeah. He is just there to tell us what our priorities are, and I do the actual work. Yeah. And so Vinny's, and he's like, we want 300 Uzis, blah, blah, blah. Vinny says, get me $65,000, and you can have your Uzis. Uh, and. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Uh, and and, and Hollis offers him 
offers oh, yes, 10% yes. down. 10% down and and the rest of the money on delivery. And Vinny's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, <laughs> this is an arms deal, you know? This is not how we do things. We're not buying, yeah, we're not buying post, you know, posters. You're not buying posters, you're buying uh, arms deals. And he's like, my people dealing cash, you know, sell some t-shirts and get back to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is pretty great. Uh, pretty great indeed. Oof. Except that. Except that. <sighs> well, what happens then? <laughs> uh, what happens then, and this is kind of a beautiful scene, is that uh, Richie says, okay, well, I'm going to go and, uh, uh, I'm going to go to a, a radio thing tonight. Do you want to come? Uh, to Vinny, like I'm gonna go do a watch this radio broadcast that uh, Knox Pooley is doing with the guys. Do you want to watch it? And Vinny's like, God no, you got to get away from these guys. Like they're they're you're gonna ruin your life listening to these monsters. And he's like, just but here you can borrow my car. And so he gives uh, he gives Richie his keys. Richie goes. Um, and then it turns out they're not in fact going to a radio show. Instead, they are robbing an armored car. And when robbing that armored car, they shoot one of the guards. And yes, the black, the black, black off-duty cop. Oof. Although we don't get all the details about that until next episode. Until we later. do find out that yeah. that happened. Yeah. So they shoot a black off-duty cop and they rob an armored car. And they use that money to pay Vinny for the guns. And uh, yeah, that's pretty bad. Yes, and then we get that wonderful scene yep. that so reminds you of Donald Trump, oh, <laughs> right? When he's talking to Hollis and Hollis gives him this this thing full of money. Yep. And he and wants to say, and he wants, and he wants, oh so, God, he's so desperate for approval. Yes, and he wants to tell him how he got it and everything else. And Knox Bully is going, no, I don't want to know. Yeah, no, and and he just every time he tries to tell him about the operation, he's like, again, he's a politician. Yeah, even though he's not in politics, he's politi and it's like I need to maintain plausible deniability, and it's this scene that re makes us realize he knows that Calvin is killing people for him. He knows that Calvin is committing crimes for him, and he doesn't care as long as they're buying the stuff. As and long as, as long as he doesn't know. As it was exactly, as long as he can remain plausibly deniable about the thing, he will keep cat like no matter how much damage he causes, as long as he didn't, you know, directly order it, he's fine. And yes, I'm talking about Donald Trump and January 6th here. <laughs> yeah. Because it's the exact same thing. Say it's called stochastic terrorism. rile people up to the point where they will go out and start murdering people, tell them, you know, get them so angry they're ready to murder, tell them uh, the people who were making them angry, and then uh, wash your hands and walk away. Yeah. Technically, you didn't tell them to go and kill the vice president. Like, I, I know for a fact I didn't act, he didn't actually tell them to go kill the vice president, but that was the takeaway. That's what people heard. And that's exactly what Knox Pooley is doing. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, the it's Jews just, are the problem. The establishment's the problem. Blah, 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 blah. Please. It's it's it's, just, a, it's just amazing to watch it, right? Yeah. Today, after we've had four the last of, four and a half, four, yeah, four years. Well, yeah, because you got to, well, you got to count the campaign too. So five years. Yeah. 
because the campaign is fascinating. You're watching. I mean, it's about Donald Trump, like 20, 27 years before Donald Trump. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly what it is. And the thing is, in other words, what it's saying is Americans are ripe for someone like this. Oh, absolutely. Right. And and he's going to come if you don't watch it. And of course, who pays attention to a television show? Well, no, but in, and the point is, in this episode, uh, what do you call it? Daryl, when he's addressing the situation, Daryl full on says, who cares about Nazis? Who cares yeah. about a couple of hundred guys? 350. Knocking, you know, like, 350 <laughs> guys, you know, burn it like attacking synagogues. What does that matter? We're in organized crime. And I'm like, I just told you there were 350 guys getting together, committing crimes, and you don't think it's worth looking at. And this is exactly how the FBI behaved, right? Up until they did not take American white extremism seriously enough. And like how Daryl behaves is how the actual FBI was behaving. They took their until... eye off the ball until Waco. Not Waco. Not Waco, Waco until... Not, I keep saying um, the Oklahoma City bombing. Oklahoma City bombing. Right, yeah. Until Oklahoma City bombing. And then after the Oklahoma City bombing, they really dug in. Uh, they really dug in and started getting these guys and attacking these, uh, these right-wing extremists. And they did a really good job. But, and this is the key part, but Republicans started noticing that all of the people who were getting arrested for being, you know, right-wing terrorists are the same people who support Republican politicians. And the Republicans didn't like that, so they started complaining and whining, and the uh, Justice Department stopped chasing down white supremacists. Well, let me put it this way. It's really 9-11 that put the kibosh it's true. to that. It, you say that, and that, that is 100% true. But the big thing that happened was, in the 90s, under, um, uh, sorry, the 90s, after 2009, when a new group was coming in and Obama didn't want to talk about the war on terror anymore, he tried and his Justice Department tried to go yeah, back and, that's put, after. and put the focus, yeah. and this is long after 2009, 10, 11, they tried to put the focus on white supremacy since it was becoming such a threat. You know, the man was getting a hundred death, he was the president, he's getting hundreds of death threats a day from these yeah. white supremacist militias. And he's like, let's start looking into these guys. And then the Republicans started bitching and complaining. And so the FBI didn't look into them. And now you've got what America's going through right now, white supremacists embedded in all levels of government and policing, actively endangering the future of America. Yeah. Because and the FBI and the Justice Department took their eye off the ball. Yeah, well, and um, it's it's funny. I list, just listened to no, I didn't actually read it. I just saw the headline, but yeah, uh, one of the commentators on CNN, yeah, was saying that is Biden trying to undo all of the stuff from, and that's part of the reason Afghanistan is trying yeah. to undo the nine eleven thing. Yeah, and you know, and everything and would be for the best. It would be for the best. The problem is, uh, yeah. There is a giant apparatus of the security state that wants to keep its budget and its power and its authority. Yeah. So it's not that easy for Biden to get rid of it. And he's trying, but for the love of God, it, like the media sure as hell isn't helping Biden r- unwrap all of it with, you know, 24-7 stories about how they America should have stayed in Afghanistan. 
Yeah, after everybody's wanted to get out of Afghanistan for so the long. Minute, and the, the minute we actually leave, like the Americans start talking about, oh, well, suddenly CNN is on TV every day having Bush, literally people from the Bush administration talking about how much better Afghanistan w- would be going if uh, Biden wasn't in charge. Yeah, because you Bush guys did great in Afghanistan. Yeah, I, like I, it's, it, the it, idea that CNN is putting anyone from the Bush administration on and doing anything but like just throwing pies at them is insane to me. How well, are these people being taken seriously? Ask me oh, why I don't anyway. listen to any American news anymore. Oh, I get all my news out of Canada. And yeah. I mean, we've got a problem too getting all our people out. Oh, God. Do I mean, we it's, ever. and, and we've, we've been basically active. We have been inactive in afghanistan for quite a while yeah um, but we still have people there but we still have well we have an embassy there we have mm-hmm. people who who lived there who were it was okay when we oh, left yeah. because the americans were there and oh, then yeah. all of a sudden people who worked for the canadians are in danger as well yep. so they've taken out umpteen and they've they've stopped sort of well because the kabul airport yeah. was bombed and so therefore you couldn't do, put flights in anymore yeah. anyway so now they're working and of course people are giving them a hard time well yeah i know but none i would say that as long as the americans were there a lot of the people that worked for the canadians didn't particularly want to leave their homes everything nope. seemed to be going well and then the, when the americans unilaterally you can sit there and say well what else did you think was going to happen yeah i know you know, I mean, this, it is perfectly obvious that this is what was going to happen. Yeah. When, when, when you think about it, when, if you'd been paying attention at all, if the Americans pulled out, that was, the Taliban was going to take over. Yeah. And, and, and it is horrible. And I am not going to say it's not horrible. It is horrible. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was to be expected that anyway all right so um, never mind we, no, no, i don't even I want to talk so, about foreign policy we ag- i know we won't do that now but what's interesting is um calvin gets a great two uh set of scenes right which is so first we see him earlier in the episode this is before the mm-hmm. robbery talking about uh you know talking with knox and then knox says uh, what do you call it? that the guy who runs the surplus store has been doing a lot of sales <gasps> and bringing in a yeah. lot of business. So we should bring him closer in. We should bring him in yes. the fold and give him more authority. And Calvin's like, oh, yeah. OK. Then when it's time to rob the uh, the armored car, he specifically does not Excludes. invite him to come along. Yes. And he specifically says to him, when I want you to do something, I'll tell you. Right. Yep. And then and this is the key part. So they're worried Richie might flip. So they're like, let's b- bring Richie out on one of our like uh, uh, survivalist weekends. And so Richie, during the survivalist weekend, uh, you know, sneaks in and overhears because he's freaked out about, you know, the murder he witnessed. And he knows these guys are all in on it, but he thinks, you know, they're the future and they're saving America. So he doesn't know who's the bad guy here. And so he sees them uh, plot to murder and then kill the guy who runs the surplus store and it's all and callus just calvin just manipulates everyone into killing this guy because he was jealous that nox pooley 
was taking an interest in the guy. Yep. It's it's a horrific scene, and it's why Calvin's such a fascinating character, because for him, like, it's the the white supremacist stuff is all about feeling safe and secure and having a family. And so any threat to that, he reacts incredibly violent to. Violently to. Like, he's such a fascinating character, and he only becomes more fascinating. So then we get to the episode. Vinny gets the machine guns. All right. Vinny gets the machine guns uh, that have had the ejector springs removed, so they shouldn't be able to work. And the idea is, you know, Calvin and the people show up with the money. They, uh, the FBI rushes in, they all get arrested, and then boom, we've, we've crippled the Pilgrims of Promise. Except when Calvin shows up, he brings Richie with him to the deal. Yeah. And Richie was a witness to the murder. Richie's at the arms deal. Richie's going to jail for the rest of his life if he gets arrested here. And Vinny does not, is not okay with that. Vinny is not willing to let that happen. So he calls off the raid and lets Calvin get away with the guns. And obviously, Frank is not happy about this. Nobody's happy about this. No, <laughs> so, no. This is... I'm not even sure that Vinny is totally happy about it, but it's what he had to do. Yeah, it's what he had to do to save Richie. And yeah. this is where things get to start to get interesting, because and essentially, in order to get Richie to take this seriously, he has to reveal that he's an FBI agent. Because Richie doesn't see that, like, there's any help in the world. Because, you know, mm-hmm. uh, obviously he thinks of um, Vinny as just a mobster who, yeah, he lives in the neighborhood now, but, he, you know, at some point he's going to go away and go back to his life of crime and, you know, business. <laughs> right? Yeah. He's going to go. And so, like, who's here for me? And he's like, the Pilgrims of Promise are here for me, is what he's thinking. And, of course, he doesn't understand the truth at the heart of Pilgrims of Promise, but we'll get to that in the next two episodes. And so Vinny reveals, and then we get to the end of the episode, and Vinny does what... Oh, oh, by the way, how did we embarrassingly miss this? Uh, Vinny and Angela finally have sex. Finally have sex. I was going to bring that up at some point. They finally do, because it was obviously (laughs) going to happen. And then they have a very well-written conversation that is just entirely about how Vinny is not emotionally prepared to commit to anyone and trying to have a relationship with her without... 100% 100% commitment would be a disaster because they're borderline family. Like yeah. she's part of his extended family and yeah, they could get together and he could marry his cousin's widow. That's a completely normal and comfortable thing to do. But what you can't do is date your cousin's widow and then and kind of flake off on her and just disappear one day. Yeah. And he's just given how bad he's been with women since Susan he knows it's too risky for them to be in a relationship at the moment. Yeah. And that doesn't but, mean forever, but it means at the moment. But the funny thing is, is that, that she also feels the exact same way. Exact same yeah. way that, well, yeah. yeah that no. it's like, she can tell how emotionally damaged he is at the moment. And while she might be happy to be with him at the same time, like it could end disastrously. She's not going to, yeah. yes, she's not going, she's not willing to risk her life. Yeah, exactly. The rest of her life around Vinny. Yeah. And, and well, no, so and it has, like, yeah. He has to fix himself because she's not going to make it her responsibility to fix him as she shouldn't. That is completely the no, right. No, she is, yeah. she is the best, she is the best female character. In the entire show. In the entire except show. Except for Amber. But we'll except get to Amber. for Amber. Yeah. We'll get to Amber soon enough. But it's like, 
they have no i mean if you can between her and amber there is a giant marked improvement in the writing of women this year yeah because it's like angela is a complete like as a complex character with her own motives with her own stuff going on who is very smart about things smarter than Vinny in a bunch of ways like yeah really a fantastic character but she was already a good character as the first time we saw her yeah the first as the wife of danny danny yeah like she was already a good character in that episode but it's like now she gets fully rounded out and it's fantastic all right uh so now we get towards the end of the episode Vinny goes back to pete's grave and does what angela said just talk to the person you're missing yes whether or not they can hear you and it's healthy and that is a healthy thing to do and he does it and that's where we end the episode it's it's rough it It was well it is a rough episode it's uh because you're watching it's I don't even know if we can, because we've had so many um, tangents. Tangents, yeah. That you can actually understand. I don't think we're going to have as many the next two episodes. Because they're because much more plot-driven rather than idea-driven. Yes, rather than... About, yeah. yeah, the world and economics and how cults work. Like, all of that is leading into this, right? And how despair about your life condition, like, drives people to yeah, really because bad things. And, yeah. And you can see Richie, you know, oh, yeah. he's got nothing. And then there's, you know, and then of course we didn't talk about Poole, you know, and his mother, you know, um, well, Poole is definitely the con artist. Well, and, and the important thing to remember here is right. And this is something that doesn't get talked about a lot, right? Poole mm-hmm. is a con artist. Yeah. But, and what the problem is, the reason I, you know, 100% equate him with Donald Trump is, and this is what people don't understand about the Ku Klux Klan. The Ku Klux game was started in like the 1870s, right? And it was like former Confederates who were pissed off at black people and wanted to murder and threaten black people. And that's what it was. They were sad that black people were getting political power. They wanted to preserve white supremacy. So they threatened and murdered black people. That's what the Klan was. Now, here's the interesting part. In the 1910s, when Birth of a Nation, or 19, or 20, no, 10s, no, 20s. When Birth of a Nation happened, right, it it reminded people about the Klan and Woodrow Wilson started riling up white supremacy. But the return of the Klan was not a spontaneous thing. What happened was a couple of con men got together and said, we can use everybody's hatred of black people, like the general hatred of black people in America. We can organize that as a way to make money for ourselves. And so they created the Klan as a membership organization you had to pay to be in. You had to pay annual dues to be in the Klan. You had to buy their specific robes and only they could sell them. You could only get your Klan robes cleaned at a dry cleaner approved by the Klan. And dry cleaners had to pay fees to the Klan in order to make it so you could get your robes cleaned there. Well, because it was a secret organization. Of course. And that's the thing they used. It was all a secret organization. But it was, first and foremost, for this group of guys, a money-making organization. They were con men using people's hate and frustration at the state of America. And specifically in this case, what happened was the reason everyone was frustrated with black people was a ton of black people came back, black soldiers came back from World War One and were like, I was just in France and I didn't get treated like a monster for being black. 
And they found out that, no, in the rest of the world, you don't get treated like subhuman just because you're black by default, the way they got treated like that in America. And so all these black men came back from World War One, un you know, unwilling to be talked down to by black by white men who didn't fight in World War One. Like, I just went and I fought in the trenches. And now some some, you know, fat 60 year old asshole who runs a shoe store gets to call me boy. No, I don't think so. And so black men started walking around in their army uniforms all the time. Because you got to show soldiers respect. And so America, um, white uh, racists started murdering black men for wearing army uniforms. That's a real thing that happened. And so in this culture, a couple of, like, in this culture of hatred and violence, and the re after in the aftermath of the Red Summer, 1919, where all of these lynchings happened, these, these guys said, yes, let's market this. Let's make some cash. And then it became a way for racism to become a profitable industry. And if that sounds familiar, it's because that's exactly what Donald Trump did. He looked at America, he looked at the way American racists were activated by a black president and said, how can I make money off of this? And so now we're in the third wave of the Klan. The first wave was the real Klan which is, uh, you know, actual guys... It was bad enough. About, no, no, but it's like actual guys pissed about losing political power, which, like, I don't think they should have, but they were reacting to a true thing. White people were losing political power in the South, and they activated. But the second two phases of the Klan have been empowered by people trying to profiteer. So in a way, like, it's a way more American thing now than it was back in the 1870s. Because America is about making money off of people. So yeah, like, this Knox Pooley thing, it is informative because his thing, the reason we call him Donald Trump is because Donald Trump is this exact guy. He's a guy who said, there's frustration in America. There's frustration in America. People are out of work. People are all of this. All right? and, and, and I've run into a guy who's got an organization that already. I can make use of. Exactly. In and the expand. same way. Yeah. In the same way, the Pilgrims of Promise, right? In the same way, yep. the, the, the original, sorry, the second wave of the Klan was created by con men using the name of the Klan. Donald Trump looked at white supremacy and said, okay, I will start using the language and the wor the stuff of white supremacy to start making some real money. And always again, he remember... He never expected to get elected. He was just looking no, to make money. He didn't expect to get elected, but always remember his dad was a member of the Klan. Oh, yeah, and his dad was a member of the Klan back in the days of it being a for-profit organization. And I'm not... And to be the clear, Donald Trump is a racist. Donald Trump does hate black people. But fundamentally, he doesn't believe in any of the other stuff. He also hates his own supporters. He doesn't believe in any of the other stuff he says. He just looks at, you know, white people who are exactly how as racist as I he is. How can I says, how can I use them? How can I exploit them? How can I profit off of them? And yeah. that's Donald. And that's the thing. Watch this episode and see. And I'm not going to tell you why. But next week, you'll know why. This guy is literally the same person as Donald Trump. It's it it is it is so weird how Donald Trump he gets by the end of episode yeah. four because anyway, he is yeah. he is exactly the Donald Trump everyone knows and hates twenty seven years before Donald Trump ran for president 
using the persona of Knox Pooler. It's yeah. incredible. And by yeah. the way, uh, Fred Dalton Thompson, again, ran for president. He Like, this actor ran for president. But at least he had the sense and decency to not run as Knox Pooley. Because if he had, he would have been president. We have just learned. <laughs> well, I'm not sure he would have been president at that point. <laughs> well, no, he ran in 2012. 2012 is when he ran for president. Like, I he thought it was early. Okay, no, it was 2012. Then. He could have used the what do you um oh sorry it might have been 2008 it was 2008 or 2012 but the point is he could have used the Knox Pooley thing to like amp up hatred of Obama he just didn't because he was just a regular you know yeah I was gonna say he wasn't he wasn't Knox Pooley no he wasn't but I'm saying he could have become if he had decided to play that character in real life that man could have been president because Donald Trump played that character in real life and became president yeah it's it's a fascinating story that we're, I mean, again, we've already told, we've talked a lot about this now, but when we get into the real plot of this arc next week, you're going to be blown away by how Donald Trump it gets. Yeah. All right. Uh, so anyway, let's, um, let's wrap this up. We're going to be back here next week for Revenge of the Mud People, where I'm going to tell you a story that week about uh, how this arc affected my life in a yeah. weird way. I'll tell you that story next week in Revenge of the Mun People and Last of the True Believers, which is episode three and four of the arc. And yes, I know it's crazy, given what we've asked you to do in the past, but it's just a four episode arc. Yes, and and we're not going to ask you to listen to any extra music. Yeah. <laughs> hey, OK, I got a little oh, too well, loud about making Thunderbirds, but I stand I by. The importance oh, no, of making Thunderbirds. To no, this you're office. and you're right. And I did ask people to go listen to okay, uh, Nebraska. So well. I guess yeah, I yeah. did. You, too. you are equally guilty. Yes. All right. All right so um, that is going to be that. We will uh, see you back here next week for those episodes. But until then, if you have any questions or comments, if there's any profiling related fiction you think we should check out, please drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We're going to be back here next week with those episodes but if you're listening to this on some sort of an app or podcatcher be sure to rate and review it uh because that is how new people find the show see you next week but until then au revoir and have a good week profiling criminal minds is a member of the kinks podcasting network